Was it Andrew Jackson that said, uh, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes? Well, I like to preach where I can see who's falling asleep and uh, like to be able to, to see real well. You know, one of the things that I'm going to, our lesson tonight is going to be on uh, a character of the Bible that uh, I, I would hope that by the end of the lesson we would like to emulate this person. But there are some characters you know, that we don't want to be like, too. I, was, uh, I, I told you this story the other, the other night, but uh, I, I read about this church that was having a lot of problems, and uh, they called in a church growth expert to help them. And, uh, and uh, can you hear all right back in the back? You cannot hear in Ryle, right in the back. Um, they need the volume turned up. We have a choice of either turn the volume up a whole lot or you folks can move down here to the front row, whichever one you can, <laughs> or close to the front row. How is that? That any better? Can you hear now? Because we want you to hear. Collection won't be nearly as good if you don't hear. Okay. Well, anyway, I read about this man in, in this congregation that was... Um, that was um, having some problems. And so they crawled in a church growth expert to help them with their problem. And he came in and um, one of the first things he did was look at their auditorium. And they had a large auditorium and when the whole congregation was gathered on Sunday morning, they filled up about half the auditorium. And they were just scattered all over the auditorium. And he suggested that, well, first thing I would do if I were you is that I would take out all of those seats from about halfway all the way back to the wall. I would just take those, those benches out, those seats out. And that way everybody will be forced to come down to the front and your singing will be better, you'll be closer to them and everything will just be better. The fellowship will be better then. And uh, so they did that. Next Sunday morning they came in, there was one old rascal sitting on the floor back there where his bench, where his seat always was. He was going to sit there where there was a bench there or not, you know. So uh, I tell you that, uh, tell you I appreciate you moving down. I used to have this thing when I was preaching full time that, um, that um, if a congregation asked me to come and, and speak for them, and if they were talking to me about moving there and being their preacher, that uh, I had this thing that usually during the class, the Sunday morning class, uh, I would ask them to come forward. If they did it, that was fine. If they didn't do it, I decided this is not the kind of congregation that I would preach for because they're not very cooperative. If they're not cooperative when you're a new preacher and the first time you're there to do something, they're not going to sure be cooperative after you've been there a year and a half, you know, and it gets down to, to where the rubber hits the road on some issues. Let me, uh, let me ask you tonight, have, um, how many of you raise your hand if you have heard of Onesphorus? Onesphorus. There's one, there's a few of you, you know. Um, we'll give you an A. How many of you can spell it? Okay, not, not any of you get A's, you know, for that. Okay. Onesiphorus is mentioned twice in the Bible. We won't talk about him tonight. I, I've entitled this Onesiphorus, the, um, the preacher of refreshment. And after the end of the lesson, maybe all of that will fit, that you'll know what we're talking about. 
But uh, he's mentioned twice in the New Testament and uh, uh, in the same letter. I would encourage you tonight, if you would, to open up your, your Bibles to 2 Timothy and um, just leave it open to 2 Timothy all night and we're going to be talking about everything there. We're going to read in just a moment uh, verse 8 through verse uh, 12 of the first chapter of uh, 2 Timothy in order to give you a, a, a sense of the background of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the passage that we're talking about. And as I mentioned that, it occurs to me that we might have a visitor tonight in the auditorium and that has come with us and they wondered, well, why are you folks meeting in such a small thing like this? And if you're a visitor visiting with us tonight, may I, may I just suggest that the rest of the congregation is down at the park playing games. <laughs> they had worship services at four and now they're playing, but they, they're meeting tonight down at the park. This is a special thing. We're glad you're here, though, because the sermon's going to be better here than, you know, there. So, um, you know, but uh, I just thought, uh, you know, one time, I, I have to, I don't know, these things occur to you, and, you, and we'll get to the lesson in a moment, but I needed to travel one time from Denver to Wichita, Kansas, and we had to do it on a Sunday. And we left, and we went through a time zone uh, on the way. Right at the Colorado-Kansas border, there was a time zone. And uh, so when it got time for, for church services, um, it was too early on this side of the time zone. So I thought, well, I'll keep on going and I'll get there next church where I knew where it was, was just on the other side of the time zone and we'll get there just a little bit late, but otherwise we're gonna be about an hour early here. And so, you know, to use the time best, I'll go on. So we went on and we um, um, went to this, we found the church building. At, Nice church building, Church of Christ, time of services, everything. And um, we got there a little bit after the sign said that they were to, they were to uh, have services and uh, there was no cars in the parking lot. I thought, well, you know, something is going on that I don't know about. So we sat there and began to be time for, you know, for worship services and still no one had showed up. But about that time, a car from Nebraska came in and they, they sat over there and we looked at each other and... and uh, you know, we sat in our cars and still no, no, nobody from that town showed up, you know. And um, we, the other car and us talked and we decided, okay, we don't know where everybody is and so we'll see if we can open up the building and we'll find the communion services and we'll, you know, the supplies and we'll have services. And so he was able to pick the lock and broke into the church building <laughs> and... Uh, we found the communion supplies downstairs and, uh, you know, and I, I taught a lesson and his boys, um, um, you know, led the singing and uh, uh, we had communion services there. And lo and behold, a visitor from the town came. There was not another single person from that town or that church even showed up. And to this day, I do not know where was that church on Sunday morning. They had a nice big building. It wasn't like a two-by-four hut, you know, or anything. Uh, we have no idea where those people were. And here was this lady, you know, that came to visit. And we, how are we going to explain to this lady that she should come back? There's nobody here, you know, if the visitors aren't gone. So, you know, that, that occurs to me. You, 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 you know, I don't want anybody leaving wondering, what in the world is going on with that church? Anyway, now back to what we were talking about in the lesson tonight. There was no charge extra for that part. 
we want to read as a background for what we're going to be talking about now. Um, beginning in verse 8, 2 Timothy, the first chapter. I'm reading from the NIV, so it may be just a teeny bit different from your version. Paul writes to Timothy, So do not be ashamed to testify, testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. His grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. The apostle Paul wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. This book is the last one that he wrote. And it is obvious that as, as you read between the lines and as you study it pretty closely, that he's near his death. And as you read the whole book, it's a very touching human document. It is written in the midst of a very fierce opposition. The Roman government and the Romans now are persecuting Christians. It is not safe to be a Christian. It is also written from the confines of a Roman dungeon. Paul is in jail as he writes this letter. He is facing probably execution. This is his second imprisonment, and he's probably going to die in this. He knows that he will never be released from this last imprisonment. He is chained, it is obviously, like a common criminal, and he writes to Timothy this last time. And he says, if you turn a page to chapter 14, chapter 4, in verse 16, he says that at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. Now as he writes to Timothy, so he also says now back in chapter one in verse 13 and 14 this to Timothy. He says, what you heard from me Keep as the sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Now in Paul's loneliness and in the darkness of this dungeon and this cell and probably underground he says something that is very unforgettable in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Vigilus and Hermogenes. 
They have deserted him and he is alone. Everybody has deserted him. Nowhere else are these two men ever mentioned in the scriptures. But these are obviously Christian brothers in the Lord and they had once held up Paul's hands and they had strengthened him in his work and in his preaching. Now he's alone, he's in prison, he's at the end of his days of life on this earth and all those close Christian brothers he's had have deserted him. We think that uh, these men were deserted Paul when he was rearrested. And they deserted him because it's no longer safe to know Paul. It's no longer safe to even acknowledge that he's an apostle. And it's no longer safe to let anybody know that you know Paul and that you are one of them because Paul is probably acknowledged as the leader of this Christian group. And that's why he's in prison for sure. And they want to keep him at arm's distance and forget that they ever knew him in order to stay alive. Paul knew how to stand up to his enemies. For instance, in chapter 4, in verse 14, he says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Now, Alexander was the man over in Ephesus in the book of Acts that caused the great riot in, uh, in, in, the, in Ephesus. He says, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. Paul wasn't worried about um, people like that. There are whole generations of Alexanders in every place. You can, you can count on them and you can know about them and that was, that was something that he could deal with. But to be stabbed in the back in the house of a friend was tough for him. It's tough for all of us. I think I can take the Alexanders. It doesn't bother me that if I were persecuted by people outside the church, I don't believe it would bother me at all because it would encourage me, it would help me to know that finally this message that I'm preaching, that it's having some effect. Somebody outside the church that needs to hear this is hearing it. And there's a reaction. And we know the same thing's gonna happen that happened in the New Testament because in the New Testament when the church began to be persecuted, the church grew through that persecution. And today if we were persecuted, we'd be growing. One of the problems in the church today is that everybody is leaving us alone, not paying any attention to us. It'd be wonderful if we were being persecuted. We'd be growing and our faith would be stronger. I mentioned not long ago that I've been preaching for this is my 59th year preaching, what I called preaching anyway. And I don't believe I have ever been bothered even, you know, an, I, I, um, an uncomplimentary remark be made to me about my preaching from outside the church. Not one time do I ever remember the slightest, slightest problem with anybody outside the church. But man, the days and the sleepless nights and the almost ulcers and the worry about how you're going to provide for your children and your family and where you're going to go next from inside the church. There's been plenty of that as every preacher can testify. Well, but now then, in chapter 1, 
Paul remembers though one person. He says in verse 16, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesimus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. In verse 19 of chapter 4, he mentions him again. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesimus. Then he mentions a few other people by name, and that's all there is. He says goodbye, and that's the end of his writing. As we read this, it, and he talks about Onesiphorus, it sounds as if the man is dead. He doesn't greet him personally. He, he greets his family, the household of Onesimus, and greets his family and says, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Has he already died? Did he die in Rome? Why did he come to Rome? What was he doing? He was living in Asia. What's he doing? What was he doing in, in Rome? Was he one of the Ephesian elders that came down from Ephesus to Miletus to meet Paul as he was on his way to Jerusalem and as he records in the book of Acts in chapter 20? Well, all of this is speculation, you know. Did he come from Asia to Rome just to see Paul? He's mentioned to being a part of the church in Ephesus. Was he one of the deacons there? Was he one of the elders? Is he now dead since he refers to his family? But then it goes on to say, after he says, show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, he says, because he often refreshed me. The Greek word for refreshed there in that passage, this is the only time it is ever used in the New Testament. And it literally means a breath of fresh air that comes across somebody about to faint. That's what, it, that's what that word describes that this person, this Onesiphorus was doing for Paul when he came to him, that, that he uses that word refresh. I wonder if that is how we respond to preaching and if that's how we respond to the fellowship of the church. It's like a breath of fresh air. One of my most memorable instances of, of having a, being refreshed was right after my freshman year in college. When I was uh, started to go to school, I had $65, and I had always been told that, uh, you know, if you want to be a preacher, then you can go to Harding College, and, and uh, they will let you go. They will work it out for you to go to school. So I went to school. I had, is it the 65 or $85, one of the two? And um, I went through the line and told them that I, I, I'm going to go to school and be a preacher. And they said, well, you know, you owe this much. I said, well, all I got is $85. Or, 
They said, well, you, you can't enroll if you don't have money enough to pay. You'll have to go see Dr. Benson. Dr. Benson was a president of the school. I went to see Dr. Benson. Dr. Benson told me, well, you need to go home and work a year and then come back. Well, I knew that if you go home and work for $5 a day, which is what I had done, you know, the summer before, I'd probably never come back. So I, I went across the hall because there was a, two of the deans of the school, the dean of students and the dean of the college had both told me before, you, you know, you come on to school. So I went across, you know, and talked to them. I spoke to one of them, Dean Sears, I remember. And I told him what Brother Benson had said. And he said, well, you don't pay attention. That said, you go over to the library and tell them I said it would be all right. And uh, so I did, and they enrolled me in school. But so I went to school, but... You know, those days it was $769, I think, a year to go to school. <laughs> you know, now it's $17,069 a semester, you know. And uh, so I went to school all year and I had this money that I owed to school and I couldn't go back next year until I paid that off. And where I came from, you know, the best job you could get would be driving a tractor for $5 a day in the summer. And so I found this job selling Bibles door to door. It was the only job I could find, so I took it. And they sent me all the way from Arkansas down to South Texas. I had never been out of Arkansas, never been away from home. I didn't know anything about all of this. I didn't have any money. And they'd either sell some Bibles or starve to death and not go back to school. And I remember the very first door I went to, she slammed the door in my face. And I thought, this is going to be a hard summer. And it, was, it, it went downhill from that, from there. But uh, I did make enough money to pay off that bill and go back to school the next year. That's the good outcome of the story. But I remember, though, that it was so miserable. Man, it was miserable. And... Uh, going and knocking on doors every day. Because, you know, before that, I was the kind of person that I was so shy that when I was walking down the main street, we only had one street in the town where I lived, if I saw somebody I knew, which was anybody in the town, because I knew everybody and they knew me, rather than speak to them, I'd cross the street <laughs> and walk on that side so I wouldn't have to speak to them, you know. And here I was having to talk to strangers who wished I'd go away and not bother them. And I looked forward so much to Wednesday nights when I could go to church. And those people knew me and I felt comfortable and secure there. Nobody was going to slam the door in my face on Sundays. And I just looked, I lived for that part. And it occurred to me, you know, that's the way it always ought to be. We ought to live for the Wednesday nights and the Sundays when, you know, we have fellowship with each other. Is our time then with the Lord and other Christians refreshing and embracing and invigorating? Or are we about to stumble under the cares and the loads of life and we're the point where we don't think we can take another step and then some of God's Christians come into our life to refresh us? When Onesiphorus came to see Paul, we don't even know if he said a word to him. He may not have been a preacher. He may have been a terrible speaker. He may not even been able to stand up before a group and say something. But boy, what a sermon he preached the day he showed up in Rome. You notice this word often that's there in verse 16. 
chapter 1, because he often refreshed me. He didn't come and refresh Paul once. He came over and over and over. And he even went so far as to convince Paul that he was not ashamed of his chains. He said, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He's, Paul's not using a figure of speech here. He's using literal language. Paul was literally in chains with his arms and his feet because that's the way they kept people in prison in those days. And he says that when he was in Rome, why was he there? Was he there on business or had he come there possibly a thousand miles from Ephesus where we know he was to Rome? Did he come just to see Paul maybe? No one else was coming to see Paul in those days. He said, passage that we've already read at my first defense, they all ran away and left him alone. He says in chapter 4 and verse 10 that Demas has forsaken him, loved the comforts of this world. Isn't it tragic that Demas has more name recognition in the church than Onesphorus? And he deserted Paul, and that's how we know him better. And at that time, Paul said that when Demas deserted him, he said, I only have Luke with me. But then do you notice the rest of what he says here in verse 16? He, he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. And then verse 17, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched, he searched. And he says he searched hard for me. There were a lot of prisons in Rome. You can still visit some of them today. And what a risk that he was running when he went up to an official and asked, where is this prison or that prison? And the guy would say, why do you want to know? And if he told them, I'm looking for the one where the Christians are in, they'd say, are you one of them? And maybe he would join them there. If he went up to an official and he said, tell me where the prisoner is named Paul of Sar Sar Tarsus. And so the guy would say, why do you want to know? He's a Christian, well-known. Are you one of them? And he would say, I, want, I need to know because I want to visit him. Christians at that time were dying in persecution. The flames were hot. It was not good to know Paul. And this man was going from official to an official, trying hard to find the ringleader of the Christians, this Paul. What kind of a character must he have been? And it says, Paul says, he searched hard until he found me. Then he reflects back on Ephesus. And he says, in the latter part of verse 18, you know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus, and that was years ago. In Rome, the traditional prisons were that they had inner maximum security prisons. This was not a house arrest like Paul had the first time that he was sent there that we have recorded in the book of Acts. And in that time, he was able to have a house and there was a guard there with him, but people were able to go, come and visit him and he was able to preach and to talk to them and they were able to bring him food and clothing and things. This is his second imprisonment. And can you just picture the moment, though, that he's in his chains. 
and he hears a noise. And then there's the creaking of a cell door. And silhouetted against the light is a figure that he recognizes from years before. This wonderful person that befriended him years before from Ephesus is standing in the door. What's he doing here? A thousand miles from home. And then he comes in and he refreshes Paul. How would he refresh him? <coughs> he could refresh him by bringing him food. A prisoner in those jails would have just wasted away from the, the slop that they gave them and called it food. Maybe drink, maybe brought him drink, something to drink. The water probably in those prisons was polluted and stagnant. He maybe brought him some money so that he could buy food when Onesiphorus was, was gone and wasn't around or buy water or buy some clothing to keep warm. Maybe he brought him some books or some blankets to keep warm because it gets cold there and especially it would get cold in those dungeons. Brought him some clothing that was more than just the tattered rags that he wore. All of those things are possible. But the only absolute sure thing that we know is that he refreshed him with his presence. He is there. He is there when no one else is there. All of them have gone, but then he shows up. Can you picture what this would mean to you? I imagine all of us remember where we were and what we were doing and what was going on in our lives on 9-11. On 9-11, we were living in Phoenix, Arizona, and just a few days before that, we had driven to, to California to visit a church that we were thinking of moving there. And um, on 9-11, we were coming back it was going to be a long hard day's drive back to Phoenix from where we were and so that morning though I was going to drive back but my wife I had to take her to the airport in Fresno California because she had to get on a plane and fly to Maine where she was going to speak at a ladies retreat that weekend now, as we drove up to the airport there was a there was a, a jeep with a a soldier sitting on it with a mounted machine gun and that was unusual for that airport and then we pulled up to the entrance to the airport to unload and go in and get her ticket and this policeman came up and politely told us to, to get our luggage out and, and then move the car as quickly as we could so my wife asked well you know what's going on and he explained what was going on first we'd known about it so she went in, found out that no planes were moving, and so we decided that, well, she's going to have to just get in the car. We're going to have to drive home. There's nothing else to do. And, um, but back in Phoenix at that same time, there was a good friend of ours that he knew we were going to California, but he thought we'd flown to California. He knew we were coming back on that day, but he knew now that on that day there were no planes flying, but he didn't know where we were, and so he was calling our children and calling other friends and trying to find out where are the Humphreys in California. And the reason he wanted to was because he was going to get in his car and he was going to go find us and bring us home. 
that's refreshing to think that there are friends that are concerned about you enough they're going to go find you in California and bring you home. The message that uh, this man spoke with, maybe with not even a word was he's one of the great ministers, one of the great servants, ministering servants of the Bible. You know, there is no such thing in the scriptures as a minister of the church. There's no such thing as the minister of the church. That's, that's not in the scriptures, it's minister. In every context where the word minister is used, it refers to Christians. Every Christian is a minister in the context of the scriptures. And here's one of the great ministering servants of the Bible. The message that he preached was one of courage to go find this great friend of his, even though it might mean his imprisonment too, and the strength to go to do it, the fellowship that he had to give this man, the care and the comfort that he would give him, this dear old man. And he could say to him, Paul, we love you. We stand behind you. We will never leave you. Now that you're hurting here are my hugs for you, Paul. Maybe he was even a convert of Paul. Now he says, here, how can I help you? It is possible that as Onesphorus came into Rome looking for Paul, that he sought out Luke first. Maybe Luke was still in town, we don't know. And he could have said to, to, to Luke, said, uh, you know, like we might have said, you know, Luke, I, I would love to see Paul, but I'm in a hurry. I've got a lot of business to take care of, and I've got business meetings, and then I've got business that I, I need to hurry home. Or he could have said to, 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 to Luke, said, would you tell Paul that I'm in town? and Tell him I said hello, but tell him I'm, I'm really busy, and I don't have time to come by and see him. I have to hurry back home. <coughs> and Paul would have understood, because that's the kind of man that Paul was. Luke could have gone to see Paul and he could have said to him, Paul, you will never guess who, who was in town. <coughs> he would have told him Onesphorus. Paul would have said, here, he's in here in Rome. Is he coming by? And Luke would have had him know he's got the press of much business. He will not be able to come. Onesphorus could have come by to see Paul one time. He could have shook hands with him and he said, Paul, it is good to see you. Here is some money. I've got to go. I'm in a hurry. They were watching me when I came in. They will be watching me when I leave. But that's not the way it was. Paul said that Onesphorus came over and over and over to see him, that he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. All of us have been called to the ministry of refreshing. But in order to do that, it, we have to make it our business to get into the lives of people that we know. And into our lives every day come people that we won't know about it unless we get into their lives, but they're on their last legs. There's so much loss, so much grief in their lives. Their life is just beaten down. And they need a kind word, a hug. They need to be refreshed. And the message you preach may not even be oral at all. It may be to give them a glass of tea or to just give them an encouragement. 
As I was preparing this lesson, I remembered two things that happened this week. That one is a person called me and they, they were troubled by something. They needed some information. And I was able to give them the information. At the end of the conclusion, they said, I feel so much better now that, that I've talked to you and I've gotten this information. It wasn't anything great. It just, I gave them something they were looking for. But I feel so much better. I felt so much better because they felt better. You know that's how it works? I also happened to call this man that's out of state. doesn't live here anymore. He and his wife are divorcing. And I called him and talked to him for a long time. He did nearly all the talking. And he really thought, felt like and talked like he just was really glad that I called him, that it was... It was helpful that he, he felt better, perhaps. To do things like any of these things and a thousand other things, we come across to them like a cool, refreshing breeze. And to give life to that kind of service, we come away equally refreshed that it has helped and we feel so good. And God will bless us in that kind of ministry. Onesphorus here is an unsung hero. All the way through the Bible, there are people whose names appear once or twice, and that's it. But there's such marvelous servants in God's church whose names have long since been forgotten. They have names that are difficult to pronounce, and they're easy to misspell. But thank God for people like Onesphorus. We were reached out in this passage and we've been touched by this man. Maybe that's the reason why that God inserted three verses in a corner of one of the books in the Bible about this man. Because it tells us so much in three verses of what we ought to be like. And it calls you and it calls myself to ministry of refreshing. It calls us to be the kind of tools in the hand of God that can send that message forth to somebody every day. Because people all around us are walking in the shadow of darkness. We need to reach out with our hugs and tell them we are never going to leave you even when you're old and you're sick and in prison and with chains that I will never leave you and I will be there. What a way to live and what a calling. There are probably some in this congregation doing the same thing that we just never do know about. And once we do know about it, we need to hold those people in high esteem. They may not be the greatest preachers in the world, may not be a preacher at all, but the ministry and the example they leave us ranks right up there with Onesphorus. Being a real Christian is to have that kind of life and <coughs> be that kind of a person. Maybe then a study of his example will encourage us to be that kind of a person also. In this place in our lesson, it always is the time to as Jerry announced a while ago, we'll have a song of encouragement. This period of time, you know, quite often we, we, say, we, we, we just identify this time as something associated with sin, that somebody needs to come and be baptized, and then 
they can come and let us know that if they've, there's sin in their life of some kind and they want us to pray to God with them, that's, that's, that's good and that's true. But it shouldn't be limited to that. Maybe there's time that we just need to pray for each other and encourage each other. And it's perfectly acceptable for somebody to come and say, I am beat down by life and I need you to help me stand up straight. And we can pray for you in those times of encouragement. Whatever it is, would you stand and sing with us?